it's uh it's a difficult one um to sort of cut a very long story short but i guess in summary um i'm a former professional cricketer insurance broker and independent school teacher um who for 13 years was suffering from a pathological gambling addiction uh something that started as a bit of fun with my mates at university turned into a problem and in the latter days an addiction something that I had no issue whatsoever recognizing it was so obvious from the things mm. that I was doing the situation that I was in my mm. problem like so many people who battle addiction mental health issues was I was mm. too embarrassed and ashamed to do anything about it I was so worried what people might say or think I didn't know where to get help and I mm. honestly didn't think help was possible and as I said I never really understood that a gambling addiction even existed, but it consumed me in such a way it monopolized uh, my life. And, and I ended up in 2018 um, having to leave my job as a teacher, um, lose my house and uh, yeah, very nearly my life. Um, so I guess that's a, a kind of pretty uh, mm. short summary. Yeah. Thank, thanks so much for sharing that. And obviously, I was thinking about how I would, would introduce this and I just, I probably would want, would want to say, yeah, sorry to hear your kind of story and experience that. And, um, you know, it's amazing that, you know, we're here having a chat and I'm just really sorry to hear that. And, um, listen, I would like to get a bit deeper in the show. I think it would be nice to hear kind of where you got to. And I think just reading about your experience, you know, you were contemplating, you know, jumping off a bridge is that right and um it got to kind of a, a a really bad bad point for you didn't it um yeah and... it's um it's an interesting one because obviously I got to a position that I never thought I'd mm. be in nor did anybody else but I honestly saw no way out um I think the the troubles had got that much I was so exhausted uh I felt like I'd let so many people down um I just didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel um, just before reaching out which fortunately I, I did but as I always say to people when you're in that situation it's often described what I was about to do as being a very selfish act at that time I, I felt like I was being selfless yeah. I, I honestly thought the world would be a better place without me and, and obviously now I'm, I'm so glad that that didn't happen and I've got another go at life and, mm. and obviously trying to make the most of it um, in my own way now Hello and welcome to Class Futures with myself, Jonathan Lloyd, where I profile and speak to educators, learners, investors and innovators around the world. It's a mini-series that I'm running and I really appreciate any, any support. You can follow updates on Twitter at Class Futures and myself at Jonathan Lloyd. And also you can subscribe for free to the free email newsletter with podcast episodes by visiting classfutures.com. In this episode, I've spoken to Patrick Foster. Patrick's an amazing character. He's just released a new book called Mike Bites, The Secret Life of a Gambling Addict. And as well as talking about the recovery from, from gambling and his addiction there, 
he provides lots of amazing advice and insight and really opens up around his addiction and provides some thoughts of parents and schools in dealing with this issue of gambling. At school, what was your favourite subject? Uh, PE. Um, yeah, it was it was anything kind of sport related, really. I was obsessed yeah. with that as a youngster. So PE uh, and then probably quickly followed by history, which I actually went on to teach eventually. So, yeah, definitely those two. Amazing. You're my second guest who said PE now. So maybe PE will take the lead. I don't know. Um, and did you have a particular teacher at school who was kind of influential or inspirational for you that's on a teacher that stands out yeah I, th- I was very lucky I um I had a lot um but one who I remember particularly is a chap called Colin Hson Gray who uh, is now deputy head at, at Pinewood um mm. school who was I was in a unique position well not unique but different to a lot of people in the sense that my dad was headmaster of the school that I went to as a youngster mm. uh, so that relationship was always a bit different but Colin was was the deputy head he taught me French was sort of mm. cricket coach um, and and was a real mentor kind of both from a sporting point of view but also just as, as a person um, and gave me the sort of tough love that, that I needed at, at times as well. And uh, mm. I've remained really close to him through family. And, and that's really nice. Mm. Fantastic. And he kind of gave you a bit of guidance out of the classroom with cricket as well. Yeah, exactly that. Mm. Yeah, sort of both on and off the field. Um, but someone I had a huge amount of respect for. Yeah, fantastic. So... So you talked about obviously you went to university. You you oh, how did how did you get into cricket? Actually, you had a, a stint in, in playing cricket, didn't you? Um, from school, how did that all pan out for you? And yeah, I was like a lot of young boys. I was sport obsessed. Um, I played anything and everything. I didn't really care what sport I played. I just had ambitions to be a professional sportsman. And for whatever reason, it emerged that cricket was. Um, probably the one I had the most ability in and it was almost ironic because it was probably the one that dad who was a kind of sporting idol if you like that was probably his worst sport um Mm -hmm. and yeah it 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 just came from that and I think obviously when you're good at something uh you you often enjoy it more um so yeah it was anything and everything but cricket became a focus from the age of about 15 and um I was reading you, obviously, you went to university, but you played for Northampton County Cricket Club. Was that right? And Yeah, that's that's right. I was very lucky. I spent two years as a full-time cricketer, living my dream. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I look back on that with, with an immense amount of pride. It obviously didn't go as I wanted it to, but uh, it was nice to have at least had a taste of, of that life. Yeah. What, what, what happened with your cricketing career out of interest? Yeah, I, as you said, I I left school, I signed a professional contract, I played full time for a year, and then I went to Durham, Mm. where there was an opportunity to sort of combine the two, continue studies, but also there was a centre of excellence there. Um, And at the end of my first year at Durham, I went back to North Ants, and I got released at the end of my second year. Uh, It'd be very easy for me to stand, sit here and say, it was gambling that was the reason that I didn't make it as a professional cricketer. Um, it wasn't. I, I wasn't good enough. Um, and I didn't perform very well in my second year. And, and obviously things had started to become part of my life that probably didn't need to. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so cutthroat. It's very it's so competitive. It's fickle and ever changing. And you need to be someone like me, who is who is obviously good, but not supremely talented. You need to be so professional, and and I probably wasn't. Um, and that's obviously a regret. Um, whilst now I look back and, and I'm obviously proud of, of what I did achieve at the time, I, I, I kind of wish I'd, I'd given it even more. And then when I did get released, not sort of bury my head in the sand and, and give up, but yeah. actually try and use that to motivate myself. And it's one of the messages I try and give across to young people now is that if you do experience that kind of failure, it doesn't mean it's the end of the road. Um, you build yourself back and go again yeah so that's interesting so you do a lot of work with schools is that right um yeah 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 what what are your kind of messages um so what are your main messages that you would 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 take to, to young people that, that listen to this show as well yeah i think one of the one of the ambitions that I had when I'd been through my treatment and I'd come out the other side, I'd, I'd stopped gambling, was to share my story. Not because I think I'm some sort of hero who's going to change the world, but actually mm. because I didn't want anybody to ever go through what I did. But also from my perspective, I was very fortunate. I had a wonderful education. I trained as a young professional athlete. I never received any education about gambling. And I thought to myself, yeah, this is something that's so kind of now ingrained in culture and society. Young people need to be aware of the dangers and pitfalls of it, just like they are of drugs, alcohol, smoking. Um, so, of course, the focus of, of the, the sessions that I deliver is around my, my story and addiction. But in terms of some kind of wider messaging, um, around looking after your your mental health treating your mental health just like you treat your physical health because as a young person I was obsessed with my physical health I never never really worried too much about my mental health and uh that's big for me the bit around self-awareness and and being aware of the type of person you are um I've always had a very addictive personality probably what made me very high achieving and successful when I was younger and if channeled in the right way can be a real strength but actually if you then engage with addictive substances and behaviors you're more vulnerable Um, and the final messaging is around talking um, and being open um, because I was always a closed book I never talked about my problems I was very good about talking about what was I was good at and what went well but always tried to deal with problems myself because I saw showing vulnerability as a sign of weakness and actually I now have learned the hard way that it's actually a sign of strength and courage so they're the kind of broader messages that I try and get across um, in the talk and I guess through my my kind of story and personal journey you, you learn about that but probably more in recovery than Mm. in my addiction mm. yeah that's it's incredible and um I, yeah I, I think sharing sharing vulnerabilities is, is really important and obviously for, for for guys in particular i think we find that challenging and it and it's hard and um it's really important that that we do kind of open up more it is a sign of strength as you say um so 
at what point did you kind of make your first bet and how did that kind of sort of spiral if if you like or how did that sort of play out yeah i unlike a lot of young people nowadays gambling sort of wasn't part of my life at all until mm. i went to university i wasn't exposed to it in any way it wasn't something family did or friends mm. we were a kind of one day a year on the day of the Grand National family. That's the only time gambling was ever mentioned. And that's what I thought gambling was. And and then I got introduced to it by mates at university. And I walked into a betting shop, having never been in one. I put two pounds in a roulette machine and mm. my first ever bet won. Um, and I think the honest truth is I probably spent the next 13 years trying to replicate that feeling that I got from the first win. Um, which I was never going to do because I always say I never had that same feeling again. But as soon as I did that, I was hooked. Um, Not addicted immediately, but I was hooked because it gave me this feeling. It was all about winning and losing, which as somebody who's very competitive was appealing. And I was surrounded by sport bravado. And I just thought, well, this is a, a match made in heaven, but, obviously ended up more to be a match made in hell really mm. so you started off with kind of a, a a small bet there if you like but what, what sort of betting did you go on to do is it mainly in one sort of area with horses for example or, or football or how did that kind of play out yeah in the in the early days it wasn't problematic in the sense that I had the money to do it because I was being paid to play cricket I had the time to do it I was a student at university Mm. And I was doing it kind of within my means, if you like. Um, I used to bet on things that I was interested in, like football, horse racing, golf. Mm. Uh, And as time went on, I would then start to gamble on anything and everything. I think the most dangerous thing for me was playing casino type games, the high frequency games where you could lose a lot of money very quickly. Yeah. Um, but I think probably the first sign for me was that I was keeping my gambling, the extent of it secret. So I used to do it with my mates, but I then used to do it additionally without them. Or mm. I would lie about how much money I was putting in or how much I'd won or lost. And that element of secrecy should have probably rang alarm bells sooner than it did. Um, but I always say to people, it, it wasn't, a problem straight away and and the stakes that I put on were were relatively small until in 2010 I had a big win and that just completely changed my relationship with gambling in a way that that I'd never appreciated it would mm. what win was that then Patrick? yeah so I, I won close to 35,000 pounds yeah. um, from a football accumulator yeah um, midweek yeah. Living in London as a young insurance broker. And the thing about that moment was it completely, as I said, changed my relationship because not only did I think I was invincible, it then felt like every time I had a bet, I'd win that amount of money. And if I didn't, well, doesn't matter. Mm. I'll win it all back in the short term. But actually the worst bit about it was then it became like a drug um, because if I didn't win, 35,000 pounds it didn't give me the same rush buzz feeling and so I was trying to win that amount every time I had a bet by putting bigger and bigger stakes and bets on and of course that led to 
to bigger debts. I lost it very quickly and it didn't feel real until it had gone. And, and then I wanted it back and I started trying to win it back. And then I started to lose. Um, mm-hmm. And I just kept digging myself deeper into a hole that, that just was never ending. Yeah. So you found yourself after this big win, putting on bigger bets. Obviously those bets didn't, didn't cut, didn't pay off for you. And you found yourself in a, a deeper hole. Um, there was a point was, was there a point? So how did you leave and get into teaching then? So you were, you were in the city. Um, you then decided to move into teaching. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's right. In, mm. in 2011, the summer of 2011, I'd, I'd got myself into a real mess physically, mentally, financially. And I thought I've got to do something about this. And I thought if I changed my lifestyle, my career, if I got out of London and that environment, it would get rid of the problem. Of course, I realized now I, I needed to change me, but I decided to become a teacher because I thought if I go and become a teacher, I'm not going to have the time or money to gamble. It's not the, something that people do because I'd been brought up in schools. Mm. My parents were teachers. They weren't going to ask any questions if I said that. So it just seemed the right thing. And weirdly, nobody thought it was a, a strange move. Um, and I got a job yeah, teaching in Oxford where I'd spent five years before moving to another school. And, and actually for a few weeks where I had a new focus, it did get a bit better. I still gambled, but I didn't do it all day, every day. And at that point, I probably got a bit complacent and thought, well, I don't have as big a problem as I thought I did. But um, of course, then I went back to it and I didn't have the same amount of money. I was getting myself into more debts. And and as time went on, I just became more and more desperate and it would start to kind of consume me in, in every way possible. And obviously you're doing this now online, are you? You're using apps and websites to sort of still take part in that gambling. Yeah, exactly that. Um, I used to do a lot of gambling in in shops and casinos um, Mm. and gamble online. But when I was a teacher, um, you don't have much time, as as you know, and days are pretty full on. But of course, the advent of online gambling and doing it on your smartphone meant I could do it any time any place mm. um it pains me to admit it now but i used to gamble constantly in lessons when i was coaching sport because it lived in my pocket um and also i think as much as we all say oh you shouldn't be on your phone actually there is always a reason to be on your phone people writing emails sending messages and it got questioned occasionally but there was always a way of of mm. doing it um and it it just meant the accessibility was was like nothing nothing else. I could be on my computer. I used to sit. Yeah. I remember it well. I used to sit at my computer in my classroom, big pile of books, marking. I used to have gambling on my laptop, gambling on my phone. Um, yeah, it, it's terrifying, really. Um, yeah, sorry to hear all that. Um... I mean, I know in my kind of experience and work, you know, I have seen colleagues, um, you know, on, on, on those on those betting apps and, and talking about it, especially with the weekend on a Friday and doing accumulators and things like that. You know, I've, I've seen it in the staff room and the common rooms. Um, you know, it's there. Um, so was there a point, wasn't there a point in your classroom where you were teaching something and you, you, 
you lost some money and that, that was a big big impact for you then yeah um in 2018 march 2018 i essentially got found out um i knew at some point it was going to happen i just didn't know when and, and my full-time job became trying to avoid it um and i got found out rightly so um the school obviously became aware that there were things going on that shouldn't have been and i got called in for a meeting and I knew that the outcome of this was that I was probably going to lose my house, my job. I was most worried about criminal charges that might go with, with it for some of the fraud, forgery that I'd committed. And in that situation, you think you're probably going to be really rational and do what you should do and reach out for help. But of course, I didn't. I panicked. I was desperate. I always say the irony of a gambling addiction is the only thing you ever think is going to get you out of it is the thing that's caused it in the first place. And I honestly thought I could win that money back. So I borrowed some money and it was also the start of the Cheltenham Festival, which is probably the most famous horse racing festival in the world, the mm. biggest week of my year. And I, I tried to gamble my way out of, of the hole that I was in financially. And it was whilst school was still going on. And then on the Friday, after going through this kind of emotional roller coaster, I'd had an extraordinary bit of luck on the thursday afternoon and my time was running out and i thought well my biggest secret's about to come out to the world it's become a matter of make or break so i put it all on one horse one horse race the cheltenham gold cup in, in march 2018 and watched it from a classroom i had 16 children sat in front of me doing a mock exam paper and, and i sat behind the computer and watched my horse come second by length um, and my world came crashing down. I always say to people, it's hard to explain, but I just shut the computer down and I walked to the back of the classroom and stared out the window for the last 20 minutes of the lesson, didn't say a word. It felt like hours. Um, and yeah, that was, that was probably the lowest moment. Um, and then fortunately, sort of to cut a long story short before I was about to do the unthinkable I made the one good decision I made in, in an awful long time and that was to, to reach out for help and, and tell someone and eventually told my brother what I was about to do and, and he he responded and, and that moment saved my life because it, it finally made me think about other people not just myself and, and the consequences that I'd leave behind and, and I thought those people don't deserve this um it's me that's that's done this um and so i didn't do what i was about to do and and i finally got the help that i desperately needed and and deep down i think probably really wanted as well oh it's so tough um listen it's amazing to have you here and for you to be hearing you share the story it's incredible it's amazing and obviously fills me a lot um being able to obviously hear it but also to share it and um listen wasn't isn't the name of your book might might bite is that the name of the horse that you you had all that money on yeah exactly yeah. that um so the title came pretty quickly to me because there was obviously that link and and then the fact that it's a play on words because for a lot of people they can gamble and not have a problem but for some it can bite you hard um mm. as i found out and and so it, it seemed a, a sort of pretty natural fit for for the book as as my title so um yeah 
Uh, so how did you come about um, coming up with this book and then what was the story behind that? And um, Yeah, the, so in, of it? Yeah, in 2020, when the whole world was struck by a global pandemic that yes. was very hard for everybody to kind of contend with, I knew that was going to really test me in my recovery um, from a gambling addiction because of what came with it, things like boredom, isolation, all those things um mm. and i thought right i'm i'm going to have to find outlets or things to do and i set myself two challenges during that lockdown one was to write a book and the other was to try and lose a bit of weight and get fit again uh and and managed to do both i never thought a book would take 2 years to write and <laughs> i'd have to go through the process that i did um how did, you, how did you start how did you start that patrick did you just sit down and write some thoughts or did you reach out? Cause I, yeah. Cause I share my story story on a kind of day to day basis through work. Yeah. I had this kind of format, but there was obviously things that I talked about in my talks, but things that I hadn't ever talked about some of the kind of deeper, darker secrets. Mm. And I found that really, really difficult to tell people. Um, and writing was the only way I could do it. Yeah. I, I literally just poured my heart onto paper from the beginning to the end. Very raw. Mm. Um, what I wrote then would definitely not get published, but it, it, it was the start. And, mm. and then once I'd finished that, I thought, well, I want to do something with this. So I sent it to Will McPherson, who's, who's my co-writer, who is one of my brother's closest friends. Uh, he was furloughed at the time. And I said, look, what do I do with this? And he read it. And again, like a lot of people, he knew my story, but had no idea of the extent and said, look, this could make a, a really good book if we can mm. sort of do a little bit of tinkering. And um, yeah, we did it. Uh, and and then when we got an author like Bloomsbury to, to back it, it was, mm. it was fantastic. So it's been a long time in the making, but uh really proud of of what's what's out there now oh definitely uh rightly so i think yeah long journey for you but just so exciting to hear about that and for you to 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 to, to write it and to, to see the book behind you there and obviously to see it and obviously see people in my network in the in the in the in, the, in, the, in education talking about it as well um so really your book is reveal some of the your darker secrets does it um and your story and your journey yeah it's um as i say it was i wanted to make it kind of accessible to mm. everybody um but also one of the real things for me was i wanted people to understand what that addiction does to an individual mm. but also what it can do to other people the impact it can have on other people uh, and dispel a few myths I think I think when I was younger I thought gambling was a thing an issue that affected people from broken homes dysfunctional family backgrounds troubled circumstances not people like myself but actually addiction itself doesn't discriminate uh and i'm not the first person to 
to write a book about their journey or their story. But I think given my background, I thought it would be really eye-opening for, for people. And um, as you said there, I, I've had an incredible support yeah. um, from the kind of teaching world, the, the sporting family. Um, the response has, has been overwhelming, really. Yeah, fantastic. And I think, obviously, I like the podcast, the Class Features podcast is, I like to keep it relatively short and um, digestible. So, you know, what what kind of advice do you have for, for parents and schools and kind of tackling this issue or, or confronting it, if you like? I think awareness is, is really important. Um, I think it's something that I think a lot of people don't realize how much it goes on, the, the extent that it happens, but also the different ways that it, it's happening. Mm. I never thought when I was gambling and then when I stopped and I started to do this, that it would be something that would be a necessity in education because legally in most forms, you're not allowed to gamble till you're 18. But yet young people are doing it from a very young age because of the, the accessibility that they have, the exposure, the convergence between gaming and gambling. Mm. The fact that now a lot of the games that they play on are normalizing these types of behaviors. So I think having the awareness that young people are engaging with it, although they might not be old enough to do it and, and taking it really seriously as an issue I think is is really important um education is is kind of key to prevention mm. um and I've always said that and obviously that's why I do what I do now but also I think one thing that's that's really important is that we talk about this topic because what's strange for me is a, it's been wonderful to see the fact that mental health is no longer a taboo subject it's much mm -hmm. talked about people mm -hmm. are a lot more open about those conversations maybe not as much as they need to be but we've come a long way but with gambling we're not there yet because it's still a taboo subject it's still a dirty word mm -hmm. um some people still view it as this thing that people who are idiots do and that narrative has, has got to change um, and we've got to have conversations. So parents should be talking to young people about it. Um, they should be talking about what they see, what they hear, what they're doing. Same in schools. Um, because I say one of the worst things about my situation was I wouldn't wish any addiction on anybody. But I think if I'd had a problem with drugs or alcohol, I would have found it easier to tell people because it's mm. almost accepted whereas gambling having a problem with gambling well you're an idiot why didn't you stop mm. and that's got to change so I think taking the issue very seriously realizing that because of the accessibility that young people have the normalization of it it, it is something that needs to be addressed in education and, and just like mm -hmm messaging around alcohol and other things it's it's getting young people to be in a position where they can make informed choices and decisions uh, and know what the dangers pitfalls consequences of things can be without telling them what to do or what not to do mm. it's so important and 
it certainly needs to be higher up in the agenda. Um, it's, it's, yeah, so important, as you say. Um, listen, for, for someone who might be listening to the show, who might be maybe thinking about their next bet or um, going on to, to, to play something small and they're kind of, they know that they don't want to do it, but they might be worried about it. What would you say to them now, Patrick? I think there's there's two things really. One is is if you are doing it, um, then be careful. Um, I don't think anybody should be able to gamble a pound more than they can afford to lose, uh, or a minute more of time that they can afford to lose, and being aware of that, I think, is really important because the onus is on on you to to manage that. Mm. Um, don't just think about the money. Think about the time that you might be spending it, the impact that it might be having on on other people, um, and just constantly monitor your relationship with it. If you notice changes in behaviour or the fact that you start to react differently to things, then do something about it. It's it's about being in control if you choose to do it, mm. and then similarly if you are somebody who has lost control or you are struggling with a problem or it's even more serious than that, then please do something about it. Please talk to somebody, please tell somebody because it will feel like gambling is the way out, um, that it's the solution. It it never is. Um, And some people just can't do it. Uh, And accepting that is, is probably the biggest thing, but, don't let it go on um, because that's the mistake that, that I made. The problem doesn't get any better. It only ever gets worse. The problem only ever gets worse. So the sooner you can do something about it, it's not easy. But if you can make that step and do something, then life is possible without it. There is help available and, and there is always a way out. It's never too late. And what's a good source of help would you recommend? The National Problem Gambling Helpline yeah. um, is the obvious place to, to yeah. turn to in, in if you are kind of in real need of support. Mm. Um, that's available 24-7. It's free. It's independent. It's confidential. If mm. you go on our website, the company I work for, Epic Risk Management, we've got a section there for individuals mm. where you can find um, everything you possibly want, whether that's information about blocking software, debts where, where you might be able to get some further support um it doesn't matter who you tell but but tell somebody yeah thanks Patrick that's great listen I'm going to leave it there I think um I've had a, um you know, enough of your time I think it's been really helpful um I think the book is a great way of finding out more and get going deeper in your story obviously I'd love to go go deeper and, and maybe in the future you never know but uh thanks so much for coming on to class futures Patrick Thanks for having me. It's been great talking to you.